You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Jesus came in his first coming. The most religious people were the Pharisees. They fasted twice a week. They tithed. They gave 10% all the way down to their salt and pepper. They knew the Bible. They could say long theological verbose prayers. People were impressed with them. You know what Jesus told his disciples about the Pharisees? Here's what he said. Leave them. They are blind guides. And if a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit and it's called hell. There are a lot of religious people going to hell. Chances are, you're well aware that the people you surround yourself with have an overall effect on your character. With that being said, one of the dangerous mistakes that we can make is thinking that just because someone is religious, they'll have a positive effect on us. As Pastor Danny will teach you in his message today, Jesus gave stern warnings about religious zealots. In his study, you'll learn the importance of using discernment when surrounding yourself with those who boast in their religion. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Genesis, chapter 13, as he continues his message, New Life, New Relationships. is saying, I'm just going to trust the Lord. I'm just going to trust the Lord. Verse 10, Lot looked up and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt toward Zor. Verse 11, so Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east and the two men parted company. Lot's choice was completely based on, wow, the grass is greener over there. I think I'll go that way. That's exactly what happened to me. The grass was greener at the parties. The grass was greener at MYF. And so I chose for myself. That's the direction I'm going. And I did. Notice verse 12, Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tent near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. You might be aware that homosexuality was rampant in Sodom, ancient Sodom, but I want us to understand that homosexuality was not the core sin of Sodom. It was a byproduct. The Bible tells us what the sin of Sodom and the people of Sodom, what their sin was. Now, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and the needy. You could summarize that by saying it was a very fleshly, selfish, me society. That was what it was. They were living for themselves, and they were living for this world. 
Hebrews tells us that people like Abraham and Lot lived in tents because they were looking for the city with foundations whose builder and maker is God. And the tent life suggested we're just passing through here. But now Lot pitches his tent near Sodom. Not a good place to camp. Chapter 14, some of the kings living in the cities around where Lot had pitched his tent went to war. Four kings got victory over five kings. And the ones who got victory, you read about them in chapter 14, verse 11. Read it. Look at it. The four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food, and then they went away. They also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. Over time, he had moved from the tent life, pitched near Sodom, to now he's got a home in Sodom. And it tells you about his spiritual condition. Now, let me point out, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7 and 8 tells us, without question, Lot is a saved man. He knew the Lord. He's in heaven. But he made some very poor decisions in this life that cost him and his family greatly. He pinched his tents near Sodom, but now he's not living for eternity now he's living in a home in Sodom. Bad move. And very naturally, because he's now living in Sodom, he becomes captive to the enemy. He's taken captive by the enemy. Thank God. Abram, his uncle, takes some of the men with him and goes out. And God gives them victory over these four kings. They rescue Lot and the others who have been taken captive. But even after being rescued by his uncle, Lot goes right back to Sodom. Right back. You get to chapter 18. The Lord with two angels come and appear to Abraham. His name has been changed now from exalted father to father of many. Abram to Abraham. The Lord comes with these two angels, and they reveal to Abraham what's about to happen. God has given years now for Sodom and Gomorrah and the people there to repent. They refuse to repent, so now God is going to bring judgment upon them. And God says, Abraham's my friend. I can't keep this from Abraham. So he says to Abraham, here's what's about to happen. These two angels are going to go, and they're going to do my work, and they're going to bring judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah for their sin. Abraham knows his nephew Lot is living in Sodom. He knows Abraham is a man of faith. He began the journey of faith with him years before. And so he begins to pray. And he pleads with the Lord. He starts out verse 25 at the end and he says, Will not the judge of the earth, all the earth, do right? You won't destroy the righteous with the wicked, will you? Knowing that Lot is there and certainly Lot has at least led his family to the Lord. Certainly Lot has had some kind of influence that a few others, maybe just a few, but maybe others through Lot's faith, through Lot's witness, they've come to know the Lord. And so Abraham says, if there's 50 righteous, will you spare the city for 50 righteous? And God says, I'll do it for 50 righteous. Abraham says, well, maybe, maybe he hasn't reached 50 people. How about 40, Lord? How about 40? And the Lord says, okay, for 40, I'll spare Oh, Lord, don't be angry. One more. How about 30? Okay, I'll take 30. Okay, Lord, don't be angry, but what about 20? And the Lord says, okay, for 20, I'll spare them. 
And then finally Abraham says, oh, Lord, please, please don't be angry, but how about 10? And God says, okay, if there are 10 righteous, I'll spare them. And what Abraham doesn't know is there's not even 10. You look in chapter 19, verse 1, the two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. That is telling. How so? In biblical culture, and in the culture in these days, we have in even other writings, leaders, men leaders in a, in a city or in a village, well, they became like the judges. And they would sit at the gate of a city, and they became known as the elders at the gate. People would come and have disputes settled by these judges. Lot is now sitting at the gateway of Sodom. He first pitched his tent near Sodom. Now he's left the tent life, and now he's got a home in Sodom. His closest friends are people of Sodom, and now he's become a leader in Sodom. You'll thank me if you read later verse 2 of chapter 19 and following because I'm going to skip that and pick it up in verse 12. The two angels said to Lot, do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here because we're going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against his peop its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were pledged to be married to his daughters. Some translations say they were already his sons-in-law. Either way, he said, hurry and get out of this place because the Lord's about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. He made a real impact on them, didn't he? With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry, take your wife, your two daughters who are here, or you'll be swept away when the city is punished. And when he hesitated, he hesitated. Why would he hesitate? Because of his spiritual condition. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand in the hands of his wife and his two daughters and led them safely out of the city for the Lord was merciful to them. And as soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, flee for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you'll be swept away. But Lot said to them, no, my lords, please. Your servant has found favor in your eyes. You've shown great kindness to me in sparing my life, but I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me and I'll die. Why can't he flee to the mountains? I think there's a clue. Arrogant, overfed and unconcerned. He's so physically out of shape. He's like, I can't run that far. He needed the Calvary Chapel running team to get him in shape. <laughs> Verse 20, look, here's a town near enough to run to. It's small. Let me flee to it. And the angel said, very well, I'll grant this request too. I'll not overthrow the town you speak of, but flee there quickly because I can't do anything until you reach it, until you're safe. Verse 23, by the time Lot reached Zor, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. New Testament tells us what God did to Sodom and Gomorrah is a precursor of what he's going to do in the world one day. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, including all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. Please don't miss verse 26. But Lot's wife looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. 
Why did she look back? Because her heart is in Sodom. She didn't want to leave Sodom. Bible doesn't tell us. Bible doesn't tell us. But I think it's very possible that what lured Lot to Sodom in the first place was the same thing that lured me to MYF. Maybe he met her in Sodom. Maybe he married her in Sodom. Either way, she's not a godly woman. Her heart is in Sodom. And that's why she looked back. Jesus said in Luke 17, 32, remember Lot's wife. Don't look back. I'm not going to read you the end of the story of Lot, but I'll just tell you, he goes with his two daughters. His two daughters get their dad drunk, drunk enough that they end up sleeping with him. Incestuous relationship. Verse 37, the older daughter had a son and she named him Moab. He's the father of the Moabites of today. The younger daughter also had a son and she named him Ben-Ami. He's the father of the Ammonites of today. It was the Moabites in Numbers chapter 25 that seduced Israel into sexual sin. It was the Ammonites that lured Israel into offering their children in the fire, the same equivalent as abortion, in worship of the god Molech. Here's the deal. The wrong crowd can be extremely influential. Extremely. I followed the wrong crowd. That's how I ended up at Peachtree Celebration. That's how I ended up a drug addict. Do you know about the first youth gang in the Bible? First youth gang right here in the Bible. Second Kings chapter 2. Elijah the prophet has been caught up to heaven in chariots angelic chariots, a chariots of fire and angels, and he goes up to heaven, and now his servant Elisha picks up his ministry. Verse 23, 2 Kings chapter 2, from there Elisha went up to Bethel. As he was walking along the road, some youths came out of the town and jeered at him. Go on up, you bald head. Go on up, you bald head, telling us he was bald headed. He turned around, looked at them, and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youth. Not a crowd you want to be hanging out with. They have no respect for the man of God, no respect for the word of God, and it costs them. Balaam. Remember, the princes of Moab come to hire his services. He's a sorcerer. And yet the God of Israel reveals himself to Balaam. And here's what God says. Don't you go with the princes of Moab. They basically come with a blank check and said, whatever you want, the king of Moab will give you. God says, don't go with them. But he goes. The angel of the Lord, who is Christ, Christ in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord stands with a sword drawn to oppose the path of Balaam. He's so spiritually blind, he doesn't see the angel of the Lord, but his jackass does. His donkey that he's riding. Three times the donkey goes off the road to avoid the angel of the Lord. Finally, God opens the donkey's 
mouth to speak like a human. If you know the story, it's so humorous. Balaam and his donkey began to have this conversation together. And then it says God opens Balaam's eyes and he sees the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord says to him, I have come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. If it were not for your donkey, you'd already be dead. Thank God for a jackass with spiritual sight. But Balaam, he still didn't listen. If you read the entire story, Balaam ended up following that crowd, eventually teaching that crowd how to seduce the Israelites into sexual sin. And he was ultimately destroyed because he followed the wrong ground. Acts chapter 19, you don't need to turn to it. Let me tell you what's happening. Paul and his ministry companions are doing ministry in Ephesus. A riot erupts. And it says as the riot was increasing, people were running to this crowd. And it says at the end of verse 32, one person was shouting this thing, another person was shouting this, and then it makes this statement. Most of them did not even know why they were there. They were just there because that's where the crowd was. And they were just following the crowd. Pilate, Mark chapter 15, wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and he handed him over to be crucified, wanting to satisfy the crowd. It was the pressure of the crowd. Here's what Jesus said. Say this with me. Come on, everybody say it. Come on. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. It's not because the narrow gate is hard to identify. It's not because God doesn't want everybody saved and everybody can be saved. It's just that the majority of people refuse because the narrow gate is Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, God who has become flesh in the man Jesus who died on a cross, shed his blood so that you and I might be saved. But most people are not going to enter through that gate. And if you're following the crowd, you're probably headed the wrong direction. I don't know if you know this. The wrong crowd may be religious. Most religious people, when Jesus came in his first coming, the most religious people were the Pharisees. They fasted twice a week. They tithed. They gave 10% all the way down to their salt and pepper. They knew the Bible. They could say long theological verbose prayers. People were impressed with them. You know what Jesus told his disciples about the Pharisees? Here's what he said. Leave them. They are blind gods. And if a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit and it's called hell. There are a lot of religious people going to hell because they've never really come to know Jesus. They've never really been born again. I don't know if you know this. The wrong crowd may be in the church. I'm talking about the true church, not the church of the Pharisees. We looked at it briefly Wednesday night, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul says there to the church at Corinth, certainly there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. The word in Greek means God's pleasure. Not that we're sinless, 
but which are really committed, which are not wishy-washy, which are not half-hearted, which are really trying to follow Jesus. And there are people in the church. There are people in the church that would be the wrong people to hang out with because they're not committed. They're not. Some people in the church are absolutely lost. Absolutely lost. Never been born again. I'm talking about the true church. I'm talking about this church. Some people in the church are lukewarm. That's obvious. Jesus said to the church of Laodicea, because you're neither cold nor hot, I'm about to spew you out of my mouth. Translated another way would simply be, you really make me sick. You're lukewarm. I'd rather you were cold or hot, but not half-hearted, not wishy-washy. And people in the church that are lukewarm, not the people you want to hang out with. Wrong crowd. I'll give you one last point. It ends where we started. You can begin with the right crowd. You can end up with the wrong crowd. It's what happened to Lot. It's what happened to me. God help you today. If you need to make a decision, move away some current relationships and move toward developing some relationships with people who really are committed, really are born again, really are trying to serve the Lord and live for the Lord. Because if you don't, even if you're truly saved, just look at Lot. You'll never find the blessing of God there. New life, new relationships. The story of the prodigal, I don't know if you're aware of it, but the story of the prodigal that Jesus told that got the early inheritance and left home, and it says he squandered his wealth in wild living. He wanted to rock and roll all night and party every day. And he did for who knows how long. And then a famine hit, and he ran out of money, and he ended up in a pig pen. He longed to eat even what the pigs were being fed, but nobody would give him even that. And here's what the Bible says. There in the pig pen, here's what it says. He came to his senses. He thought about his father. He thought about his servants in his father's house, and he said, the servants in my father's house are better off than me. I'm going to go back home. I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Make me like one of your hired men. I don't even be deserved. I don't even deserve to be called your son. And if you know the end of the story, the grace and the mercy that was poured out on him and the blessing that he found, unbelievable. I want to give you the end of where we started, 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. By the way, the whole context of 1 Corinthians there is resurrection. It's living in light of the resurrection. The next verse says, come back to your senses. The Lord's calling some, maybe lots. Come back to your senses. What are you doing hanging out with them? What are you doing in that relationship? And some of us are going to have to make some tough decisions. Jesus said, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. That's not literal, but it is graphic. If your right eye offends you, pluck it out. In other words, you, you pay the price, you count the cost, and you, listen, if there were cancer there, and, and Nate said, if we take your hand, you will live. If you give up your hand, you will live. But if you don't, 
that is going to spread and it's going to eventually take you down. We're so thankful to be able to share God's Word with you on The Living Word with Pastor Danny Hodges. We've been journeying through Christian basics together, learning what it is to be forgiven and how important it is to stay focused on Jesus. If you'd like to hear today's message again or more from Pastor Danny, visit ccfstpete.church. Just look under the Resources tab. We'd also like to invite you to join us in our Bible reading plan. This is a great way to get into the Word every day, and reading God's Word is so important. You can find out more under the Resources tab at ccfstpete.church. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to take a moment to ask you to partner with us in prayer here on The Living Word. Prayer is such a powerful tool, and it helps us to remain in steady conversation with the Lord. Here on The Living Word, we hope to always teach the Word in order to reach the world. We know that it's easy to get lost in fear and doubt, especially in the world today. But when you seek the Lord first, the days look a bit lighter and the enemy loses his foothold on our lives. If you're listening today and you're wrestling with your faith, take heart. This world is not your final home. Keep seeking and keep praying. Don't lose faith. Thanks for praying and for tuning in today. Join us next time as Pastor Danny continues teaching through Christian basics right here on The Living Word.